It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we are airing every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we also have another little thing on for Sacred Sunday on Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. And we are also proud to say that we're translated into many different languages. People are listening all around the world. And I want to say a shout-out to those people outside the country. Thank you for tuning in. I just have a couple of announcements uh, to make before I get our guest on tonight. Zero International has a very rare appearance by Debbie Jordan Calvo and Tracy Torme and uh, Travis Walton are coming uh, on April 4th, 2015, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And Debbie uh, Calvo is also known as Kathy Davis, the subject of Bud Hopkins' best-selling book and Tracy Torme TV miniseries Intruders and the incredible visitations from the Copley Woods. Anyway, this is going to be incredible. That's April 4th, 2015, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Dillatree Hotel, Catalina Room, 6161 West Catalina Avenue in Culver City, California, 90230. I'm really looking forward to that, and it's going to be fun and exceptional and Everybody goes to uh, dinner, well, breakfast after. So uh, please join us over there. It's going to be a great time, and I'll be announcing it up until the day. So next week, our guest is going to be Robin Reynolds. She's going to talk to us about spiritual photography and her evidence of life from the other side. But anyway, tonight we have a very special guest, and he's Gary Bobroff, an internationally acclaimed author and speaker and a Jungian-oriented psychotherapist in private practice. Uh, he's the primary developer and facilitator of the Archetypal Nature Workshop. That's what we're going to be discussing tonight. And that you can find that at www.archetypalnature.com. And he delivers the depth of the Jungian approaches in an accessible, engaging, and visually-oriented form. 
He's also hosting the inaugural webinar in archetypal nature uh, via Psychcraft. I think they pronounce it. And he's hosting the. Uh, anyway, he's going to come on and tell you about it, so I don't mess up his introduction. Anyway, he has a master's in psychology from the Pacifica Graduate Institute. I'm jealous. And his first book, Crop Circles and Young, and the Reemergence of the Archetypal Feminine, was published August 14th. So that was our our last uh, a few months ago, our last uh, interview. So now we're discussing about the feminine archetype. And I think I see him now. I'm going to welcome him aboard. I want to say hi, Gary. Yeah, hi, sir. Hi. How are you? Almost. Hello. I seem to be tongue-tied <laughs> tonight, so I better get you on here fast. <laughs> anyway, it's just uh, wonderful having you on again. Um, I was so dreamy after the last uh, interview we had, and I was listening to it a few times because, you know, you're a, a wealth of uh, knowledge about the Jungian concept of things. And for people uh, that don't know uh, who Carl Jung is, do you want to tell them a little bit about Carl Jung? Sure, sure. Sure, thanks for having me on. Again, I had a really good time in our last chat as well. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, the basic stuff with Carl Jung, for people that don't know who he is, was that he uh, was Freud's heir apparent, uh, you know, over 100 years ago, and um, around 100 years ago, actually. And um, they had a falling out, uh, mostly to do with Freud's overemphasis on the idea that, you know, all creativity and, and uh, spirituality was repressed sexuality. And Jung didn't really buy that. And he, he really felt like there was a spiritual principle in nature as well. And, and that was the beginning of their, you know, parting ways but before then he was you know Freud's heir apparent and um, then he branched out and started psychoanalytic psychology and uh, he had working with him as well uh, a lot of women around him and and one of them was Tony Wolf and she'll come into the discussion tonight because she's the real uh, person behind the archetypal nature workshop and um, but I do but uh, you know Jung is is the guy that has given us so much of our language around psycho around psychology that folks don't even really know um you know he coined the term synchronicity you know he he made up the word um he gave us the words introvert and extrovert and and personality types and you know the myers-briggs type indicator that folks will you know a lot of folks will have done that comes from Jung's psychological types or sometimes called personality type and so that was Jung, and you know, and Jung had a correspondence with Bill W. around the spiritual principle, and is you know uh, at least contributed to why that step is part of the twelve-step work. And you know, he's behind so many things. You know, the, the interest in dream analysis has a lot to do with Jung, and you know, the popularity of the term archetype, and and so much of our our language in psychology and popular psychology, and you know, the general language people speak about psychology really comes from Carl Jung, and, um, you know, I'm very proud to be continuing certain parts of that, you know, my own way, so. Yeah, I'm just so uh, grateful to know you because of all that, because you uh, really have uh, your strong knowledge and background in this, and uh, you just uh, actually brought up something that was pivotal in my life. I mean, way back, uh, let's say, uh, I started reading Jung, 
um, just I started reading and getting Latin books so I could actually read some of the books. I started reading young back in uh, the seventies, and then I went uh, through all the books that were available, and then I started going over to the Young Institute on Pico, and um, I had gone into uh, recovery in the early eighties. Let's say uh, my my recovery date starts from eighty one. And I was reading the textbook for uh, this re- particular recovery code program. And in there, it gives a salute to Carl Jung. And I was stunned that I found <laughs> my spot. You know what I mean? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe they were bringing him up. And it had to do with uh, that back then, you know, people went to uh, Carl Jung to get help. And they... Uh, this alcoholic actually could not stop drinking. He would stop for a while and then uh, be have a terrible downfall. Anyway, he went back and uh, Carl Jung said to him, uh, you know, there is no hope for you. You're right. And the guy was so horrified and desperate, you know, that he was shocked into actually getting into recovery. And that's how Carl Jung mm-hmm. he did the tough love thing. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, what happened is the guy did stay sober. And then he went back to Carl Jung sober, and Carl Jung said, I was hoping to instill this in you. You know, you can't stop, you know, mm-hmm. this recovery anyway. What a, what a, how amazing and the legacy that he's left behind. So uh, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us uh, about your background and uh, and how did this all start? You know, where, where were you <laughs> brought up and raised? And what, thought, what stirred this up in you that you would end up like this in a wonderful way? <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was funny, you know, um, over just over 20 years ago, we just passed the 20-year mark. Um, I did a workshop that was based on the same route, the same source material that I do the Archetypal Nature workshop about. Uh, and and at this workshop, I was, you know, I was fairly young, young, and I hadn't read Carl Jung. I hadn't read any psychology really or studied psychology in university. And um and I went to this uh, workshop uh, that was on the same material as I do in, in the workshop, Archetypal Nature Workshop now, and it just blew me away. And, and I was, you know, the woman who was running, the one of the women running the workshop said she could see electricity just shooting out of my head. Because, you know, I knew at this workshop right then that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life when I saw this material that I, I'm sharing now in the Archetypal Nature Workshop. And um, you know, it really, I just got it. It all just clicked. And I was so interested in the the way that there's these structures underneath our behavior and who we are that are unconscious, that we don't get until someone kind of reveals it to us. And then we totally get it. And we can't see see the world the same way anymore. So it just completely fascinated me that, that there was these, you know, these, uh, you know, like a structure underneath. Um, everything about who we are that really speaks to so much of our values and our sense of identity and where that comes from. And so, you know, for me, I was lit right then. And then after that, I started, uh, you know, continued my university studies and went on to Pacifica and, you know, all that good stuff from there. But this, this was really the moment when, with this stuff that I, I, I just knew that was the door for me and, and I um, had to open it up and, I've been following it ever since. Well, you know, I sometimes I, you know, the powers that be, 
you know, pick a person to do this, and you are so articulate, and uh, you have presented this in your way, and it's really very fascinating. And this topic to me is never dry. I mean, it's always forever alive and interesting, and I can't really get enough of it. And that would be my dream, just to go do art and then go hang out with the young ends and then go back and do some writing and then do some sculpting and go do young ends. I'd love to live like that. Mm-hmm. I really would. <laughs> um, I, then I have a, just for, just for a curiosity's sake, have you ever gone under uh, the young end analysis? Have you I ever have turned not. yourself in? I have, I have not. I've done, because I was doing, you know, I did so much of that kind of, work with you know on my own and with my friends and, yeah. and that's a, just you know that's where I live so when I've done my own therapy work I tend to do more body oriented um, somatic psychology kind of work really getting in touch with your body and that's for my own work that that really has been powerful and and that's you know something I continue to pursue for myself that's wonderful yeah they I did uh, do get analyzed over there it was very interesting because uh, what came out was the whole uh, dream uh, analysis and uh, a lot of the artwork and stuff like that. And uh, it was very encouraging. And it was really a beautiful thing, you know. It's really quite different from a lot of other psychology. As a matter of fact, you're in private practice, aren't you? Yep. And where do yep. you, where do you yeah, practice? I, I mostly work over, over the phone or Skype with folks. Because um, I work with people all over the world, and and so mostly I, I work on the phone. But I do, at certain times, you know, depending on where I am, I'm traveling to do different talks and whatnot. But um, I do have a small um, local practice as well. But mostly it's over the phone with folks all over the world. Ah, wonderful. You know, that's what I feel that's great about this electronic age and the fact that we can do radio and then Skype and then phoning, and it doesn't keep. We're not separated anymore. You know, and where can people yeah. get a hold of you? I want them to write it down right away because if people want to uh, to talk to somebody and get help from somebody that can really uh, get you into this, uh, I really highly recommend uh, Mr. Bob Ross. And uh, what, how can they get a hold of you? Well, there's two different ways. Um, you know, they can reach me through the Archetypal Nature website, archetypalnature.com, and you can book book with me um, or email me directly through there. And that's, that's one way. And I do have another site for the practice, which is jungianonline.com and uh, jungianonline. And that's, you know, there's a few different therapists that I I work with with that and um, they can reach me that way as well. If they want to contact me directly via email, uh, they can email me at archetypal nature, archetypal nature at gmail.com. Okay, great. Thank you. So uh, you you just told us how you came in to do this work, and um, how do you want to describe uh, this particular system, and um, where does it come from, and how how it developed? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, the system that I present in Archetypal Nature comes from Tony Wolf. Tony Wolf was um, Jung's mistress and really companion in developing. Jungian psychology. There were a lot of women around Jung, including his wife, Emma Jung, who really, you know, made major contributions to Jungian psychology. I really think of Jungian psychology as as the psychology of Carl Jung and a whole lot of women who were really doing so much of that pioneering work with him. Um, 
so what Tony noticed was that after they had done the um, psychological types, which is the introvert, extrovert, intuitive, sensate, all that stuff that's in the MBTI or personality type, after that was done and published, uh, Tony observed that it still felt like a piece was missing, that something was not, they didn't have the whole sort of personality piece figured out. And she um, observed this series of polarities in the psyche that, that when she could give a name to it, it finally expressed that missing piece. So these poles, there's one pole that's personal and one that's impersonal. And uh, on the impersonal one, there's two ends, and one of the ends is focused on personal one-on-one, and the other end is focused on personal in the group or collective sense. So these different poles or these different spots refer to how we find our identity and our deepest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So on the personal axis, there were folks that were really oriented towards the collective in their personal relationships. So they were, these folks are interested in how, you know, how do people fit into um, the group? How does, you know, about society, about the family, about the team, the work team, the tribe, all those kind of collective ways that we're connected to people. And so if someone's living from that spot and, and we, in the work we call, we call that uh, king and queen archetype. Sometimes it's called mother and father, but the names really don't matter. It's the sense of, of the, their, their libido, their energy, their unconscious energy flow flows into people, but in the collective sense. So you'll find a lot of teachers are coming from that archetype and their, you know, their energy flows into how is this kid fitting into the class? And, you know, um, you know, maybe after school they're on a sports team or something. And there's a lot more energy going into individuals vis-a-vis the group. So, you know, they might be concerned about, oh, is this person, you know, a new family member, are they going to fit into the family? Or if there's a new work team member, how are they going to fit into the group? Their energy just flows in that that direction. The other pole, the other end, um, the energy flows into people, but in a one-on-one sense. So it's, you know, your energy will just, if you're someone who lives at that other end, your energy flows into romantic ideas or friendship, one-on-one interests, and generally more into the new and the novel. The folks that live up, we call it the, you know, the top of the chart with the king and queen. The folks that, that live there, they tend to be, it's not always, but they tend to be more traditional, more you know, uh, conserving of, of what is already present in society. So uh, the folks at the other end, um, we call that lover or seeker, and there's different names from different versions, uh, but that's the words we use. And those folks, again, it's one-on-one, so their energies, you know, their their thoughts without even, you know, it's unconscious, so without even thinking about it, you know, your energy's flowing into thinking about friends or romantic partners, people in a one-on-one sense, and that's the, the personal axis that Wolf observed and that we carry forward in archetypal nature. And there's been uh, one other main person that carried it in between uh, me and them, and me and Tony. But um, that's the that's the personal axis of the archetypal nature work. Um, you know, it's uh, it's fabulous uh, because it res- really resonates with me. And I got to tell you something that when you said the king and queen archetype, 
I have had many dreams that I meet my true love and uh, we're both wearing crowns and we're like the mm. king and queen and that mm-hmm. um, I've met him even just walking down the street. That I finally gave up looking for him because I had another dream that said that uh, I'll just run into him walking down the street. It was just like very casual. And there was like a cement mixer in the background. And then I, I then I realized, oh, it's like my higher power is actually working on this. Maybe I should leave it alone. And then uh, I had sort of a vision of my higher self, and I was also in a crown. And that um, I even had a niece that had a dream about me, and it was the same with a dream. I dream about me. I'm in heaven, and I have a crown and a big dress on and. Uh, she was talking, she said, I have to tell you about this dream. And she said, I saw you in heaven and you were wearing a crown. And it was, it's very strange that uh, this is so important to me, that you just said that. You know, it's it's a synchronicity mm. thing happening. <laughs> what does that yeah. mean to you? What would you say about that? <laughs> what, is it, what, what, what does which mean to me? Because I wasn't aware of, you know, this... Uh, uh, this king and queen scenario, really. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it feels very symbolic, but when I'm dreaming about it, it really fits. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's a few different ways we can look at the king and the queen. Um, you know, there is a sense that, you know, I think there's a sense that the king and the queen can represent something bigger than this archetypal nature workshop and what I'm referring to here. You know, there's a way that the king and the queen can really mean that kind of highest power inside us and, you know, the full flowering of who we are. And in a way that transcends what I'm talking about with this workshop, but, you know, in the sense of the workshop, I just wanted to ask, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it can be related to it too. It's just, you got, you know, we got to sort these things carefully when we're, we're doing it. And, um, um, you know, there is that energy of the king and the queen, in the sense that we do it in the workshop of the, you know, the, in the sense that we talk about it where it's, you know, it's that part of us that really has good boundaries and that knows what it wants. And that sort of Royal, we, you know, that we're, you know, the authority figure and that, that part of us that owns its own authority. And so, you know, we all, whether we live in that archetype or not, we all need to, to develop it and get more conscious of it. Or if it is where we live, maybe we need to, you know, take the edges off it a little bit and, and and become more conscious of what that archetype is doing in our life, right? If, if, um, if, uh, you know, the, whatever archetype we live under primarily, if we are unconscious about it, then it can be running us, you know? And so, you know, we can fall into these traps that if you knew the story, you wouldn't fall into them quite so easily. Um, you know, when, when you're unconscious of the story that's running your life, if, um, you're missing uh, things that you know, someone that knew beforehand might see it. There's ways we repeat the same kind of patterns. You know, with king and queen folks, um, and sometimes we call that mother-father too, and I like using both those because it gives you sort of two different pieces about how that can feel. Um, you know, the king and the queen or the mother and father, they can be really motivated by doing for, by taking care of other people, by being there for their community. And, and you know, if you go somewhere to a volunteer site, you know, it's going to be a lot of mother, father, king, queen types because they, they're all about service or they can be. Um, but the shadow of that is sometimes being controlling, like, oh, I'll do this for you, but now, you know, now you're kind of, you know, in the group and, you know, you kind of owe something to the group now or, 
I did that for you, but now you owe me something. So um, at its best, the king and queen people don't do that. But if they're unconscious of the story, sometimes it can be very much about control and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll want to have control. And you can certainly see that in the, in the workplace, in the boardroom, you know, there's a lot of king queen types in there. And, um, but at their best, you know, the king and the queen can bless us. They can say, you know, Char, it's so wonderful to have you in our community. And we're so grateful for, for what you bring to us every week. And, and, you know, you, you know, the thing that you do is so unique and so powerful and we're so grateful for it. And, and, you know, anytime, you know, you need anything, you know, we're here for you. And, you know, they can give you that blessing speech and it feels so good. And, and, um, you know, some of us will live our whole lives and not get that speech, but boy, That's when right. it comes along, it, it sure, sure feels good. Yeah. It sure does. Because I, I hear some stuff that, uh, I know if I wasn't doing, you know, doing what I do in my life that I would never hear this kind of thing, you know, cause people tell, tell me on the side and, it's just uh, brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. It's, it's pretty incredible. And you're right about the dark side of it all. You know what I mean? You really are. It's like uh, there is a thing with uh, the the royalty and the sense of uh, ownership of it all, too. So, okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, none, none, of this is, none of this is too stereotypical. You know, you'll see, you'll see um, you know, I know friends of mine that are, you know what you might call a hippie type, but they're they're underneath that. There's a there's a father or a king there, and they're you know they might be the glue of the group, or they might be the you know kind of the the leader figure of a you know uh, you know at the at the table kind of thing. But you know all, none of this is is too cartoony. You got to really look beyond the um, you know the initial description and get past it because everybody's somewhere on this chart, and um, when you start right. to see it, you can really forgive people and and embrace who they are and instead of <clears throat> expecting them to want the same things you do you can give them what they really want and maybe give them a little direction and help and asking for what you want if it's different if you're coming from a different archetypal place well that sounds very healthy you know what i mean it's like a give and take <laughs> and you're not so scared because you have to protect yours all the time you know what i mean yeah and uh you actually get more generous, and uh, that's a wonderful way to talk about it. Really, did you do you Thanks. identify with a certain uh, a certain archetype yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On the on the personal end, on the on the personal axis, I'm at the the bottom, and that's the folks that are focused on individual one on one, the seeker, lover seeker type, and um, you know that's just you know that's who I am, and that's where my energy flows. I'm more focused on my friendships and. Uh, uh, you know, lovers and the one-on-one people in my life that I really care about and a little less energy on the, the group stuff. But, you know, that's where my shadow is on it, the other side and the, with the king. And, and that's where I've got to pick up and learn some things from the other uh, the other side of the, of the circle. And then the other axis goes um, east-west, you know, kind of 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock across the clock there, the horizontal axis. And on the one side of that, uh, on the... Um, you know, the the uh, western portion, we put the warrior and the Amazon there. And on the uh, eastern portion, the, the right-hand side, um, we put the magician and the mediatrix there. And mediatrix is, will be familiar to your listeners. That's the mediumistic woman, the, the woman who knows through the unconscious, the medium, um, 
you know, the woman who knows without knowing why she knows. And, you know, a lot of women will identify more clearly with the sage or the mediatrix or sort of the sage or the magician, you know, the person who is finding identity through knowledge and comprehension and clarity and rationality. But, but some of your listeners, I'm sure, particularly for your audience, a lot of women will be living the mediatrix life that they know things without knowing through the unconscious. And, uh, you know, if that's going on for you and you don't have a container for it, you don't have a, a way to place it, uh, it can be very frightening for people. We live in a very rationalistic society, as you know. And, um, you know, we want um, – Tony Wolf restored the uh, mediatrix to this system and put her where she belongs because there's a, you know, there's a lot of women in this world that experience life that way, and we need to honor that and, and say, you know, you know, you're not crazy. That's part of reality is that this goes on for people. And, and here's things you can look for, for your shadow. And here's things you can look for, for your strengths and, and all that. So that's a big part of this work is, is saying that, Hey, this is a reality. And in every culture before, you know, the modern West had a place for that woman, you know, the Delphic Oracle in Greece and many, many other places, you know, other cultures make a room for this woman who knows, um, you know, via the unconscious. And um, so my personal um, archetype on that would, of course, be the magician. You know, I'm here talking to you about ideas. And the other side of that is the warrior. And then so I'm right here in this in this um, sage uh, seeker or uh, seeker magician corner, the bottom right corner. And that's a, the opposite of that is the father warrior. And so when I want to think about my shadow and some pieces that I can pick up for, for me about my own shadow, I look across the chart and I see this father warrior and I think, geez, well, well you know, what might I learn from him? And, and boy, he's, you know, he's got some values that are different from mine. And, and, you know, what can he tell me? But there's a lot of good things to be learned there, you know, strategy and showing up and being consistent and the values of community and all that. So there's, I mean, you can play with these things almost endlessly. And if you're open to it, you know, and do uh, like you're mentioning art earlier and that you were doing that with your Jungian studies, when you do some, some sort of uh, open-ended art with this stuff, you can start to pick up things from the unconscious and it can help you to um, give you clues. But oftentimes those, those clues will speak to these archetypal pieces that are missing or that we need to pick up some of us need to own our own archetype more, right? Because we can live under an archetypal identity that isn't ours. And so for a lot of people, it's about coming home uh, and owning the value and the gold in who they really are and freeing them out of a, out of a role that wasn't their own. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's about shadow. It's about looking at the opposite as well. So there's, there's like an infinite amount of depth possibilities here and just being open and keeping an open mind about it and being humble and, and uh, all that is, that's that's how it works. Wow. You know, you, when you said that, uh, you know, you're living under maybe uh, a shadow that somebody put on you, let's say, let's say if you're in a fa- the family systems and dynamic, what if you were placed in a, in a role you've never been comfortable with and, they insist you're a certain way when you're really not that way at all. Like what, mm-hmm. what, tell us something about that. If you don't mind. <laughs> well, yeah, that's like, I, wow. I, that, yeah. There's a lot of that going on, right? Because our society yeah. and our culture 
values certain archetypes and not other ones, right? So yeah. everybody wants, you know, there's a certain thing that, um, you know, probably the father warrior type is the most uh, preferred in a mainstream culture uh, archetype, right? So everybody's supposed to want to join the country club and be on the boardroom and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's, that's not, you know, as looking at it from an archetypal perspective, that archetype is no better or worse than any of the others. They're all equal from my point of view and from an archetypal point of view. None of these are better than worse, but the culture's skewed in certain directions. So, you know, one thing that's happened, and this happens a lot of ways, but a common one that we've had in the workshop is where the, uh, you know, a middle-aged man will come in and say, my father expected me to be a father warrior type, but I'm not. And not only that, but his father expected him to be a father warrior type and he wasn't either. And, but he lived, you know, his father will have lived his whole life really wearing that mask unhappily. And the son inherits that karma and then has to, you know, it takes a long time to get to, to push it off. And, you know, that's a very, very powerful thing to, to um, give someone or to have them receive from the work and very meaningful. And, and uh, it's also very important to let people figure that stuff out on their own and let that story emerge. As it would. This is very psychoactive work, you know, so you don't even push people too much in the workshop. You just kind of give it to them and, and it, you know, we get a lot of emails down the road. Oh, you know, it just keeps bubbling for people. So I think it can go on endlessly. Um, but one of the things is the, um, is the dropping of masks. Another huge one for women is, um, you know, society really ingrains, I think wants women to be everything all at once, you know, everything to everyone. And archetypally that's, that's not possible. That's just not realistic. Some people might live in three archetypes. Uh, and I can, I can say that that seems you know po- possible to me, but really living in four, that's just not going to happen. And so all of us are living from a place that we're going to have some pieces of this and not all of it, but society really expects women very often to get all their happiness and satisfaction out of mothering, right? Out of the, the mother or queen archetype and to say to them, Hey, no, there's this other archetype. That's the lover. And that's about one-on-one connection and about originality and uniqueness. And, you know, maybe not really, you know, they might enjoy their kids, uh, you know, particularly as they're aging and becoming more of an individual, but, but the women that are coming from that are not necessarily going to find their whole deepest satisfaction out of, uh, you know, raising children. And that's very liberating to, to say, hey, there's just another archetypal story. It's eternal. We've always been this way, um, you know, that, that isn't that type. And that one's not better than the other, that these are just differences. And, and I think it's liberating for women to have these other stories be given the place, you know, a place of honor and a, and a and be shown the fact that these archetypal differences are built into nature and they're everywhere and they've been in every culture. And, you know, we give examples in the workshop of, you know, this role in around the world in different places and times. And, you know, we know it's just a part of who we are and, and you can drop some shame then and say, well, I'm this way and I'm not that way and that's okay. And, and uh, again, I just think it's a, a real nice thing to be able to share with people. Yes, it is. It's uh, the encouragement and, um, the encouragement to just be yourself and 
uh, what you were talking about, it can be scary if uh, you're launched into this stuff too fast because uh, uh, people can get, get lost if they've had a very difficult upbringing in this area. It's almost like, uh, to me, sometimes some of this is a little bit of a luxury. You know what I mean? That it takes mm-hmm. a brave soul to actually jump into this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yep, this is a very right. creative, very opening, and uh, uh, you have to be very, uh, you know, brave to to do it. Or the, it's like some are just have the curiosity to go this this route because it's very uh, different. It reminds me of just pictures that I've seen of uh, the uh, beautiful uh, mazes and stuff like that. You know, all all covered with green, yeah. and you got to find your way through there. And it's beautiful, yeah, yeah but uh, it can get dark and spooky, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> it can. Yeah, that's right. You know? That's right. Well, you know? it's funny, Char, you're really, you're really hitting on something there, because um, one of the best teachers with this work, although he does it in a different way, in a different way than I do, is uh, Robert L. Moore, who's a great Jungian from Chicago, Jungian analyst, and he wrote the wonderful King Warrior Magician Lover series, which I really respect. And, and his depth of knowledge on this system is very, you know, tremendous. And I have a lot of respect. I have, so, you know, one or two theoretical differences about how we do the, how we view people's development around it. But, you know, basically he's someone that I really, you know, just enjoy so much what he has to say. And he spent a lifetime looking at this stuff. So I really get a lot out of, out of listening to his work and reading his work. But one of the points that he loves to make about this system is that it's four-sidedness. You know, it's, there's a way that the psyche has these four sides, like a maze or a temple or, you know, um, these other kind of traditional uh, religious buildings that are four-squared or eight, you know, or eightfold. That there, there was a, a big part of the psyche, and, and Jung wrote a lot about this, about quaternio and, and alchemy and these, you know, four-sided things that we see there in alchemy. And, um, you know, there is something to the psyche that it likes this four-sidedness. And uh, here we have these four archetypes that really speak to so much of human nature. And I, I think, you know, you're, you know, the idea of the maze there really, you know, does speak so much to this. So I think you're you're, you're picking up on something. I am. I know it because I can <laughs> feel it. Anyway, so uh, you're talking about uh, Robert L. Moore, and uh, we also you also uh, talk about Carolyn Miss. Am I pronouncing it? Then yeah. uh, Carol Pearson. Did you want to discuss mm-hmm. them about uh, their books? Well, yeah, I'm a little bit more familiar with Carol Pearson's book, which I've read. I haven't actually read Caroline Mace's book on archetypes, but um, but Carol Pearson's I have, and. And again, it's somewhat similar to the, the difference that I, well, not exactly. Those two books, Carol Pearson and, and, and Mace, are really just talking about archetypes and, and they have nothing to do with Tony Wolf's work. Um, and there are archetypal systems, and Pearson's is one, where you know she sort of talks about you do your, your magician phase and then your warrior phase and this phase and the next phase. And you know, in my experience, you know, I don't see that. I see people that live their life you know, in one or two archetypes. And uh, and a lot of their difficulties and trouble and shadow might come from the shadow of those two archetypes, which is often related to the archetype across the wheel. So 
as I said, I'm a seeker sage. The father warrior is going to tell me about not only my shadow, but how to, how to deal with my shadow pieces. I need to pick up to become a more, more whole, a more fully realized human being. Um, and, you know, Carl Jung was the same archetypes as me. He was a, a seeker and a sage, and he didn't magically transform into a king. You know, he didn't have a warrior phase. You know, he, he, he was who he was throughout his life. And when you listen to interviews of people talking about him, they say he was a brother type. He wasn't the father type, maybe the way Freud might have been. Uh, yeah. He was a brother type, something, something more warm and close, uh, and more one-to-one, more peer-to-peer. Um, you know, the person you want to have a drink with at the end of the night and, you know, tell some stories and, you know, bond in a, on a real, you know, intimate one-on-one level. And so he didn't, you know, he didn't mature and flower into this other archetype. And I think, you know, when you say that they're getting, someone's going to do this stage and then that stage and then that stage, to me that's, you know, this stuff can be very confusing. And and yeah. I just think for me it's important to be clear and just to say what I see in the world and, and why I see the system as really valuable is that it really says, hey, this is probably where you live in these one or two archetypes and own that gold there. Don't, you know, own that piece. You know, really take, learn the good parts about that archetype for you and then also learn the shadow. And if you expect yourself to be everything, man, that's a tall order, you know. Well, it's I don't not going to happen realistic. like you said. Yeah, yeah. it's not realistic. Right, exactly. and, and you're yeah. going uh, to lose because, you're going to, instead of getting deep and getting your needs met, you're going to be superficial and just getting, you know, all the surface of whatever you can spread yourself out so thin on the surface. Right. Rather than getting, right. digging yeah, in and getting might, some healthy stuff for yourself. Right. Yeah, you're going to pretend to be something you're not, potentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's sure not going to help you as we get older and age and... Uh, <laughs> You have to learn to accept yourself, you know, as you are. And uh, if you've been faking it this whole time, how are you ever going to get your needs met? That's that's what my theory is. Keep faking, yeah. pre- pretending to be something you're not, and you're never going to get your needs met, and you're going to be mad at everybody because they don't seem to ever give you what you want right. or what you need. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the best, that's one of the, for me, one of the best things about this whole system is that, you know, you know, everyone thinks that everyone else wants the same things they do, and they don't. You know, everyone no. around this wheel, you know, it's really a wheel because you go, you know, from warrior around to seeker lover to magician, mediatrix, and king queen, and that's a circle, you know, and some, everyone's on the outside of the circle somewhere. And so, you know, what I want for my archetypal place is very different than what a father warrior wants. You know, the, the father or king, you know, he, he's not as interested in that one-on-one intimate chat that you might want to have. If you're the opposite archetype, what he wants is he wants the whole family there for Christmas dinner with their spouses and children. And he wants to see that the whole tribe is happy together, healthy and whole, you know, and and Mm -hmm. one is not better, better or worse than the other, but we have to, we can learn, through this work to stop projecting our values and what we want on everybody else because everybody does not want the same things we want. You know, some people, you know, the warrior certainly wants different things than the magician wants. You know, these are, you know, some people really like competition, you know, other people hate it. Um, you know, so 
the system really allows you to say, oh, I see why that person's that way, and now I can give them what they want. And, you know, if I need something from them that's maybe not the thing they want to give, then I can kind of help smooth, ask, you know, ask them more clearly for that or, you know, try and get my needs met in a different way. So it really allows you to um, be less judgmental of other people and and project your own imaginations onto them a little less and, and really see them more clearly for who they are and maybe help them see you a little clearer, more clearly too. Oh boy, that's a that's a wonderful, you know, give gift to give back and forth and I think that's when you really can help somebody. If you really see somebody, you know, that's where a, a profound healing could come, you know. Because I know that I've I'm a counselor so uh, I don't spring any of this on anybody. You know what I mean? I don't do any of that kind of uh, things. I don't mm-hmm. want to scare anybody. But anyway, uh, yeah. but when it does happen and that you see somebody and in a certain way you allow them to know that you see them, sometimes it's a great comfort to them. Well, so, so I've even had people say, well, finally somebody saw me. Somebody knows what I'm, I'm talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a healing mm-hmm. thing because so, if you, you think you have so much control superficially about what people see about you, but you really don't. Mm-hmm. If you observe, you know, and you care, you know, you're going to find out what makes people tick or what's underneath it, you know. So um, mm-hmm. I was just curious, did you, ever, did you ever read anything by Robert A. Johnson? He wrote He and She. Oh, and yeah, of course. Like that. Yeah, I've read most so, most of his books, if not all. You know, oh yeah, love, love him. He's great. He he's still he's still um, he's still rocking down in La Jolla there. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, I love La Jolla. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, and I also love Cambria. It turns out Carl Jung was up, and he took groups up north and on the California on the seashore. So uh, it's mm-hmm. almost like you know you gravitate towards it. And so those are some of the books that I also read on top of uh, everything by Carl Jung. I did the Robert A. Johnson thing, and uh, you're right up there with their stuff, really, because your book is just that interesting. Thank you so much. And it's full, and it's it's. Uh, I love your your beautiful descriptions, and uh, you know. So I advise anybody to get his book. It's called Crop Circles Young and the Reemergence of the Archetypical Feminine, and it's a very not only beautiful cover. It's uh, you know every each chapter is is rich with. Uh, imagery and uh, answers to the questions and a lot, a lot of great information. You really uh, did good. How long did it take you to write this? Thank you so much. A long time, years. That, I know. That book was really, I put a lot of work into that book. You know, I did that as a master's thesis at Pacifica and and then spent years rewriting it and making it a lot better and um, a lot of years a lot of years, at least three or four years as my main thing that I was doing was writing that book, yeah. What was the response to your uh, thesis? What did they say? What did your professors say? Oh, they they liked it. You know, they were interested. You know, I, I was lucky, you know, very lucky to have Lionel Corbett, who, you know, the Jungian community in California certainly will know, and probably most of the states would, would know Lionel Corbett. Um and he was, you know, he's English, so he's open and interested in crop circles, and he's an open-minded guy, and he's had a lot of, you know, heavy experiences and out-there experiences of his own and working with clients. I'm sure he's, you know, he's open to the unusual or the, you know, the non-traditional, yeah. you know, 
non non rational point of view, and and he he liked it, and I was very lucky to have him. We kind of had to ask for special permission to work together, and it worked out, and we're very happy. And it's in the bookstore at Pacifica now, and I'm I'm proud of that. And uh-huh. you know, the, awesome. the community is yeah, the community is really open to it. And you know, there's a professor there now that teaches some stuff on crop circles, and there's more than one student apparently that's writing their dissertations or or master's thesis on uh, crop circles as well. So I, you know, was a little bit ahead of the curve there and uh, I'm proud to, um, proud to have done that work. And I, I feel really good about it. You know, I think that phenomenon really points to how much we miss the archetypal feminine in, in our culture. And Jung really felt that that was the biggest, the biggest problem in our culture is that we were missing the feminine and we had lost, you know, mystery okay. and soul and emotion and feeling and the miracle of life. You know, that's the connection there to, you know, to grain and crop is that, you know, it speaks to the miracle of life that we've, we've lost. And, and that's, you know, contributes so much to the problems we're having as a society. So, you know, I, I just think it's a really magical, mysterious phenomenon, and it's, it's wonderful that we are being visited by it. Oh, it's a, it's a, you have a beautiful uh, uh well, it's a poem, and it's on page 73 uh, of your book, and it, and I really love it, and it, it speaks to some uh, deeper mystery and, and beauty and forgiveness like you were, you were talking about. It says, I dreamt last night, O oh marvelous error, that there were honeybees in my heart and making honey out of my old failures by Antonio Machado. I just thought how beautiful... Uh, mm-hmm. That you even put that in there—it's just uh, a gorgeous uh, thing. And um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So much of our, you know, the—I mean, Marion Woodman is a great Jungian writer that a lot of your folks will know, and and she talked about—you know—she has a book called *The Addiction to Perfection*. And and so much of our society is this over-masculine, you know, hyped-up nonsense that expects us to be perfect and all these kind of things, and it's so sick. I know to have those kind of expectations put on us. And, you know, that's what that poem speaks to for me is that, you know, there's, there's beauty and meaning and purpose and sense in our failures. And it's so hard to accept that, but, but it is. And, you know, we, we need to drop the idea of, of perfection. It's not, it's not a realistic, it's not a realistic option, you know. Um, And when you think of the harshness that has been, uh, that continues to happen every day to women. It's like an all-out warfare still right. against yeah. the, the a woman or a young woman or a pretty woman, you know, little girls. Or and it's just like a horror movie, and it's just the the harshness of it all. It's it's really uh, pretty uh, terrible, you know. It's scary yeah, because it's really uh, women live in fear. I don't know many men that worry they're going to come in, somebody's going to come in the window and come get them and get raped. But, you know, most women worry about that. That's why they lock their doors at night. They wonder mm-hmm. if they're being followed or something like that or, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. it's, it's harsh that we're doing this to uh, the, the people that are actually bringing forth these thing, beautiful things into the world, you know. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, the, the society... Um, punishes the feminine both, you know, in women and men. And, and you know, our society is run by values that are the exact opposite. They're the, you know, archetypal masculine shadow values that are running the world. It's about more and more and more, and everybody's a cog in a wheel and only valuable for their societal value. You know, it's just sick. 
you know, and there's soul and beauty and love and heart in the world. And that should be, that should be how our society is, is run, but we're, you know, we're a long way from that, unfortunately. It's uh, is this in every culture? Would you do you find any uh, in your work any culture that um, that gives women the spot on this planet anywhere? Oh yeah, well I mean maybe not on the planet today, but uh, we know that there have been cultures like that in the past, and uh, you know um, yeah, I mean it's definitely been around in the past, but it's not it's not around too many places today that I know of. Um, there's certainly places that are better and worse, but it, it's a, it's, you know, it's the kind of like it's the point that we're at our in our development as a species. We're either gonna get right with the archetypal feminine, or we're gonna be toast. So, you know, I mean, it, it speaks to the earth too. You know, it's the way we take it for granted. You know, like a mother, you know, we take it for granted, and and we have to break through this phase and and learn to have a different relationship to the world or there's, you know, there's not going to be a continuation for this species. So, you know, we're at the, we're at a real serious point, you know, um, with that work. And, um, you know, Andrew Harvey is a great uh, mystic and, and teacher and he he's a friend of mine and, and uh, speaks a lot about that. And I, I think, you know, we have to bring some emotion to our engagement uh, with the world and feel our, our anger and, and our grief about what's gone on to the planet and goes on to women and, um, you know, try and get right for future generations as best we can. Right. Cause the, you know, the, uh, the very small people that I meet, cause a lot of people bring their kids in with them and the little girls, uh, they, they seem to do pretty well. And then at age, let's say 10, they then become self-conscious and nervous and worried about stuff. And, you know, their little uh, hearts get broken at that point. It seems like to right. me, you know, so, uh, and I'm still seeing the same kind of thing. But then on the other hand, I'm seeing this empowering thing where the kids are actually uh, dressing just like they want. They're actually switching. They're wearing, they're dressing down or they're wearing boy clothes if they want or it is not accepted at all for the boys to wear girl clothes. I'm seeing some little young people that are pretty young and in school, and they're choosing to wear boy clothes. They're not even right. uh, uh, attracted at all to, let's say, a doll or anything else. Right. So who knows yep. what's going on with this? Anyway, I think it's people. <laughs> if we list it, no, I'm thinking. I was thinking about Native American cultures that a lot of this would be accepted and recognized right away. Right. Yeah, the two-spirit people and stuff like that. Right, right. Okay, so yeah. uh, how does your help work help people in their relationships? Wow. Uh, you know, a lot. Uh, you know, it's tremendously important. Uh, what we find is that most couples share at least one archetype in common. Most long-term successful marriages uh, or, or long-term coupleships share at least one archetype in common. Um, you know, there's um, a lot of ways that we can go with this, and there's so much we could talk about with archetype and, and relationships. But, um, you know, there's there's stereotypical stuff that you see a lot. You know, you'll see a lot of father types with um, lover-seeker daughters. When both parties are immature, that can be very kind of, cartoony 
and you know the father's the provider and the daughter's you know just kind of engaged in you know you know maybe shopping and looking pretty and very sort of shallow kind of stuff on both ends where there's a shallowness in both parties and and that can be a real impediment to growth right because then they've got their area and you've got yours and you have to stay in that little box and they have to stay in theirs and you can see it the other way too with mother type you know queen mother types with a a seeker son who's maybe you know a little bit more you know the eternal boy kind of figure and you know uh, he might even refer to her as mom and that kind of thing and you know there's dating the opposite can really get um very limited if it's unconscious but if you're more conscious and you really get what's going on here and you see okay well we've got you know, at least one archetype together so we can we can work on that. If it's two totally archetypally different people, that's that's tough. It's not impossible, but it, it's challenging. So there's so much depth there. Um, but I think, um, you know, like I said with the stuff around projecting on each other, you know, if you know the story the other person's living through, you can certainly be more patient and more understanding and give them what they really want rather than just, you know, getting angry or why don't you understand me or all these kind of reactions when people are opposite, it can be, you know, there can be an attraction there for sure. There, there's definitely, people do tend to be attracted to their opposite um, sex, opposite archetype. That's, you know, one of the most interesting things that isn't commonly known is that our inner uh, figure, our, our anima in men or our animus in women, our inner feminine or masculine figure inside of us people don't know that it tends to be opposite personality type and opposite archetype especially when we're young so we're we so the people when it says opposite opposites attract boy is that ever true we can tell you from Jungian psychology from seeing that anima figure or animus figure seeing in people's dreams so many thousands and thousands of times as you know the collective Jungian community has that 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 inner figure of ours tends to be opposite personality type and opposite archetype. So my first girlfriend, years after we were together, we compared notes from the Myers-Briggs. She's exact opposite uh, Myers-Briggs type from me. And we were, wow. you, know, you know, full-on love, you know, full-on romantic, you know, in love kind of thing. And she's opposite archetype as well. And as we get older and we integrate that figure inside of us a little bit more, sort of the edges come off that projection and we tend to be attracted to people that are a little closer in type and in archetype. And that's a great thing, but especially when we're young, man, boy, we go right for the opposite. And, uh, you know, a lot of people wake up from that, those kind of relationships at 30, 35 or 40 and go, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in a relationship with someone who's seeing the world completely differently. And that's very challenging. So a little bit of, of knowledge here, especially as we're, you know, getting older can be really powerful and help us steer towards a, a, a more, you know, a mate that we can more easily flow with, you know. Yeah, um, I was just thinking, I mean, you, when you were talking about this, it reminded me of my aunt and uncle, my uncle Louie and my aunt Kathy, and uh, her whole family came from Ireland, and uh, she married my, my uncle, and they, were, they seemed and appeared to be opposite people in tights, yet they were married for 57 years before she passed of celiac. And uh, what happened is that he, this is what he told me, because when we talk about her, he brings her up, because he's really old now, too, so he brings her up a lot. 
but um, he said that she made me the man I am. I said, you know, Uncle Lou, explain this to me. He said, she wouldn't let me slack off. And she, she if she did, did not believe the way I believe, she would bring it up and we'd have to fight it out. Just sometimes he said, I'd slam out of here and then I have to go for a walk and I come back and see that she was right. And she always had my best interests in mind. So she told me the truth. You know, and imagine a relationship over 57 years of this. And they never stopped talking or lost interest in each other. It's just incredible. And I wonder, and they're, my Uncle Lou is like a brainiac. Uh, he puts some people off. I can, I'm like probably the only one that can actually deal with him and actually be with him for long periods of time because he sees all. He's a hypercritical. You know, he, sees, he has a, a quick eye and he's smart. And uh, my Aunt Kathy mm-hmm. is also like a wise woman and uh, very caring and nurturing and smart at the same time, you know. And everybody came from harsh lives back in the day and the Depression and all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, just, I wonder I wonder what that, what would you would call... Uh, their kind of relationship. So what happens as you travel along for 60 years together? Yeah. Well, one of the, you know, one of the great things, or one of the things that comes to mind for me is that is if we do marry young and we do happen to fall in uh, for our exact opposite type that, you know, there is a tremendous power in the anima in men and in the animas and women. And, you know, I can speak as a man that when the, you know, when my anima is activated, you might be dating your opposite or you might be, you know, with somebody who's maybe not exactly the same type as you, but it's very enlivening and and it will keep, um, you will see that person uh, sort of for that, you know, almost at the same age they were when you met them for your whole life because they're the energy. There's something magical about that, that anima animus energy. And if it's, if you can get around the opposite pieces, Boy, there is that, you know, magical romantic projection that will really can it can really carry on your whole life, and it's quite remarkable and wonderful and a mystery. And um, you know, so you know, maybe that's uh, that energy they, you know, if they were opposites and if the uh, anima and animus were getting projected, maybe that's uh, that what's that engagement, that energy, that magic between them is, you know, what kept them going for those. That all that time and kept them interested in each other and kept them, kept them talking. You know. Yeah. And she cared even to the last, you know, that last thing that she said to him. She said to him, as she was she was passing, and the last thing she said to him is, "Are you the man you always wanted to be?" And he said, "Yes, because of you." Oh. I know. Wow. She That's helped beautiful. them go there, and there are they are some rude people, Scottish people in my family. <laughs> they're blunt, they're rude, they come off like sandpaper. You know what I mean? Then the other side is the Greek side, you know, all loving and mishmash and casting evil yeah. spells and all whatever. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, for my uncle to allow himself to go that deep, you know, I have to admire him, you know, because he can be pretty gruff and. Uh, scared mm-hmm. people off, but uh, her, she couldn't get scared off. She just went toe-to-toe and just dealt with it, and it turns out to be, you know, <laughs> such a beautiful thing, you know? I think that's what it's all about, is, like, coming to be your real self and 
relax around another. And if you do it like 60 straight years, like, oh, my God, I can't. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a wow. That's a beautiful story, though. Thank you. You're welcome. So uh, now, how does your work help people to fulfill their potential? Well, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with owning our goals. You know, owning the best qualities of who we are, and I think if we can do that, we can offer that gift to the world with more confidence. Um, you know, if we can own who we are, then we can do the thing that we're meant to be doing on the planet a little more easily. And, you know, if we don't understand our own archetypal nature, um, we may not know what it is that we're supposed to give to the world. So, I mean, I think it it really doesn't get much more important than that in terms of your own, you know, developing your potential. Um, you know, it's it's so hard for many of us to own our gold because society has, you know, a variety of values and, and has certain biases against certain archetypes. And, you know, to really claim who we are um, means dropping, you know, maybe some negative programming uh, culturally. I mean, he, all the archetypes, but including, you know, father, warrior, queen, Amazon, uh, those are, uh, or, or king, warrior, queen, Amazon, uh, those, you know, are the mainstream, probably the most valued. But, you know, even they have, you know, pieces that, um, you know, if you don't own the story, you may not own your potential. If, if you can really, st- uh, you know, own your power as a as a king warrior, you can say, "Geez, you know, look at this great community around me, and that's a big part of my strength, and one of the things I love, and and um, you know, I love you know these um, you know my brothers in arms here, and and you know the king's energy often his libido often will flow into his bros. You know, he's very, you know, if you look in the wall of a father warrior type or king warrior type. You're going to see pictures of him with his buddies on the fishing trip and on this, you know, on the, the bowling team or whatever it is, you know, the different things that he's off doing with his bros. Um, so you can understand, ah, that's who I am. That's my strength. And and now I'm going to go and start a business and, you know, and be a part of the community and, and all that. So, um, you know, there's all these different ways, all these different stories and ways that we can be, but to own it, you know, that's something special. And to see that there's a, that our story is, you know, uh, an eternal story, I think is one of the things that can really help us to own it too and see the, the magic and the beauty and all of these that comes in so many different ways. Yes, it does. It's, uh, you know, this is like a lifelong pursuit. I think, uh, I think that you even get in there stronger, like uh, as you age, uh, other things happen. I think you then allow yourself to let go of some of these expectations of others. And you can delve mm-hmm. into the deep more as you get older. I think, I think mm-hmm. that's the way Carl Jung felt about it, also. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot so, for a lot of us, there's crises, crises at midlife, you know, around the archetypal stuff, and it comes, takes so many different forms, but it tends, tends to come up around midlife. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. So, um, let's see. Oh, now we're getting an echo. Um, how does this, because you talked about the anima and anima. So, is, uh, can you explain to our listeners what, what those uh, terms mean? 
Yeah, the animus, animus is just our inner feminine and our inner masculine. So our inner, you know, our unrecognized inner other. And um, those will have to do with, uh, in men, you know, it'll have to do with his feeling nature very often or how he feels about women. Uh, the animus in women will have to do more with uh, how they feel about men and the inner masculine inside of them. You know, sometimes they use the phrase uh, animus possessed woman to refer to someone who's maybe more masculine or, you know, bitchy kind of that kind of all that kind of drama stuff. And in men, you know, anima possessed man can be too feeling and all that. So it's our inner feminine and masculine. And it's our, you know, a big part of our, our work here is to make friends with that inner figure and, and um, <clears throat> listen to what it's trying to tell us. Okay, can you give us an example of uh, like the reconciliation of this scenario? Do you remember a story that you could explain this uh, to us or illustrate uh, uh, some of these explain concepts? Explain the anonymous yeah. in the story? Or the shadow work, <laughs> you know, either one, yeah. Well, oh man, I don't know if I have a story for anonymous off the top of my head. Um, okay. Let's see. Well, I mean, it's you know, as I said before, it very much has to do with who who we fall in love with, and um, you know, we tend to have a certain figure in our life that um, will uh, you know represent that certain kind of person. You know, you know, whoever you're attracted to. Um, uh, you know, that particular type, usually they'll have to do something with how they look. Um, certainly for men. Sometimes with women, with the animas, uh, it can be sort of how they talk or, or what they do, uh, that kind of thing, or their ideas. Um, but that, that, you know, is the key that turns our fall in love thing on, are those qualities. And that's, you know, that's, to be understood as a projection of our own inner figure, of our own inner beauty, of our of our soul. You know, Jung talked about those, the anima and the animus, as the um, as the kind of bridge figure between us and our soul, and that's you know a powerful, powerful idea and, and something that you can spend you know a lot of time and, and um, do a lot of work to get in touch with. But it's the idea that there's this figure inside of us that's um, our other half and our other uh, the other piece of who we are and and that that figure has a you know constantly is there for us and has these you know messages and we can find it in dreams and in what we're attracted to in the world and and all that kind of thing and it's a huge huge journey you know it really is and i just see how uh, the choices that we make especially in our relationships you know can get us what if you just make the totally uh, wrong couple of choices in a row and you uh, just realize that uh, you've made the same mistake again, you see it really clearly, uh, what, are you t- what are you telling yourself? What, what's showing there? Let's say you had a when couple of weeks on the last two boyfriends you were with. Let's say that. Uh, well, that's a long <laughs> story, you know. <laughs> Well, give us a short version. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's you know, I'd really have to know more about it, sir. <laughs> no, I'm not talking. <laughs> <laughs> what if you inspired stalking-like behavior in others, 
And then uh, you had a call of police on your last two boyfriends. So what does that? What does this all mean? Oh, it has nothing to do with wow, me at all. I don't think. Okay. Yes, it does. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Well, I, I think that, you know, it depends on, there's a lot, you know, that's something you really want to, you know, be careful when you speculate about what's going on for certain people in their lives and all that. But, um, um, you know, stalking's not a friendly experience, you know, and I, I would imagine that's not something you enjoy very much. What? That's true. That's true, <laughs> but what if... I don't think that was my point. I think my point was what shadow person in me is looking for the shadow on the outside. Uh huh. What is it? Well, I That's think I think you know. Let's, let me let me talk about it in in general and not a, not a, to do with you. Okay. But, you know, right. in, in general, uh, you know, I, I think uh, folks that have an experience of dating people who are maybe uh, uh, maybe you know unstable or something like that, you know, I think there's a certain amount of, you have to be very careful with how you uh, interpret something like that and how you draw the meaning from it. Cause I think it's multi-sided. I think on the one hand, you've got to look for, you know, what's the lesson for you in terms of how do you make healthier choices? How do you maintain your, your healthy boundaries? Um, uh, you know, where do you draw the line and say, no, this is not someone who's healthy for me to be with. And on the other hand, you know, you probably have to own a, at least a small measure of that kind of quality inside yourself and say, you know, what is that small part of me that that is a little, you know, uh, unstable or whatever the particular quality is as well. And, and all of us, you know, have different pieces and, and we have a certain shadow and all that. So, and we're all here to do some work. And and so, you know, I think it's good to look at both sides of the coin. What what do I have to be more, you know, do, in a positive sense? What do I need to do? And what's the healthy choice for me to make here? And besides, yeah, um, recognize what, your inner stalker. You're right, exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I couldn't help it because uh, I think we're working. Well, I This is what I believe. We're always working something out. There's always something. Maybe you don't feel nobody wants you. Okay, now all of a sudden they want you all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, it's like almost mm-hmm. like wish fulfillment and that uh, you got to watch what you ask for because you can get more than you can handle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. then that's what makes you step back and take a look at yourself and, and get stable because you're realizing people want and want and want, you know. They want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's you, but it could be something they think you are. Or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever the weirdness of it all is, it's uh, a good time to step back, you know, as quickly as possible. You know, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, call police. Yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. That's, this stuff that's happens right. in that's real life. The, that's right. That's one of the lessons, too, is, you know, a lot of us have to learn to take care of ourselves and say no and draw healthy boundaries. Exactly. So. exactly. That's what it's all about. Okay, so... Uh, now, um, you use historic film and television examples in your workshop, and I, I'm, right. your workshop must be incredible. And what's your favorite historic example of the, the archetype? <laughs> well, one that I, I use in the workshop that I really think just always blows people away is, you know, there's um, there's this great uh, footage, and they, it's on the it's on our um, 
on, on YouTube, but uh, I believe that on the Facebook page for Archetypal Nature, I think I've got a clip of it there as well, and um, which is facebook.com slash archetypal nature. And there's great footage there from the uh, Frost-Nixon interviews in the 70s uh, with David Frost and pre- former president Richard M. Nixon. And he, you know, he really warms Nixon up for a while and, you know, serves him up a lot of softball questions and all that. And eventually he puts it to him and he says, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, this illegal plan they had. And he says, you know, Mr. President, is it sometimes okay, uh, you know, for the president to do something outside of the bounds of, you know, legality or whatever? And Nixon says, well, if the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Wow. So he, yeah, right, there you go. So, so he has identified with the king. He has yes, identified yes. himself with the rulership power, right? So that, that can go on in all these other ways, in our own family lives and all that, where the father type, you know, he might want to be really respected for his authority and doesn't, you know, he, the father says, you know, my way or the highway. That's the motto of the father, right? So, you know, we need to, if we, I mean, Richard Nixon doesn't know that he's lost in the king archetype, but he's lost in the king archetype. You know, uh, Michael Jackson is probably lost in the seeker archetype. You know, he builds, he, he, oh, yeah. he's a Peter Pan. You know, he built Neverland Ranch and all that. He's, there's a way that he was lost in his archetype in a totally opposite way totally opposite archetype um but they're both lost in their own in this in this story and they can't see you know they can't see that story they are they're not conscious of the story and that's how you really become fully unconsciously identified with it when you it's moving you you, it's driving the ship you're not driving the ship anymore and that's why it's it's so dangerous and that's why it's so important for us to really figure out what is the myth that is living through me um, you know, but those are, are two really good ones. I also like, um, you know, there's the big chill scene where uh, William Hurt's character talks about, well, why did you leave grad school and why did you quit all these jobs and all that? And he's, you know, I'm evolving. I'm still evolving. You know, that's the seeker is always wanting to change mm-hmm. and evolve. And and that whole movie is really um, about the tension between belonging of the of the king and the queen and the father, mother, and the freedom from belonging that really the 60s generation is all about, you know, with, you know, it's like, it's a wonderful life versus Jack Kerouac's on the road. You know, these are two different visions of goodness in American culture. And the big chill really is about that tension between the two, because you have, you know, the one character who's committed suicide, it starts the movie. And then you have this William Hurt character that's really still a a rebel and a renegade. And he's out there on the, and he's, um, you know, he's, you know, the um, the other um, Kevin Klein's character is trying to draw him into society, into settling down, you know, into digging in in a community and all that. So that this is one of the inherent tensions throughout human history, but it's really ripe since the 50s and 60s in American culture, and I think that's what the Big Chill is about. And, you know, we use a whole bunch of uh, film examples throughout because people really, when they see that, they get it, you know. So 
Um, and I think that question is one of the biggest questions in our in the work, and uh, it can it can be um, really powerful to understand it in that way. Yeah, it is. Um, I was thinking for some reason of uh, well, what is your favorite television or film example of an archetype? Well, you know, I think Big Kill's a good one. Another good one in TV, of course, is Archie Bunker, right? He's the ultimate kind of uh, father-king figure who's, you know, really carrying the old values. And, you know, we do it this way because this is the way it's always been done kind of guy. And, um, you know, know, to understand it that way, um, you know, can be uh, a little bit liberating because you can understand, oh, okay. You know, again, this is where it's coming from. It's an archetypal place, and you know, cut them a little slack and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean you give up being who you are, but uh, but you understand yeah. that there's this different place. So, so that's a that's a big one. Um, like I said, the big chill is a big one. Um, there's you know different ones we use throughout, but those are some of my faves. Well, as far as females go, what do you think uh, Lucy was do- is doing? What would you what would you say? I know she would be the clown. But what would you say about her? Oh, uh, Lucille Ball? Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, she seems to me like she's more like the, yeah, like the one-on-one type, you know, lover-seeker. And, um, you know, I, I really don't know enough about her really to say much more on an archetypal level than that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, anytime you have an actor or an actress or a comedian you really got to think about maybe there's the warrior there because the warrior is about, you know, excellence and, you know, athleticism and doing things really well. And even though she's a, you know, very bright person and you can think about her coming up with a lot of good ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, I certainly think she has a lot of strength as well. And the, you know, the Amazon really is a, the kind of woman who really prides herself on her autonomy and independence. And um, yeah, a lot of the I can see her being a provider and doing all that, and that Amazon warrior type of woman. And she might be masquerading as a clown, but inside she's iron. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. And and Um, so many actors, most actors or actresses are going to be the warrior because acting is about demonstrating, It's, it's about the excellence of demonstrating something through your behavior and your physicality. So most are going to be about that that warrior thing first. It doesn't mean that they can't also use the magician or the sage and be creative, but but they you know if you're going to have the instrument first of, of acting, that's a right. primarily a warrior. Yeah. Amazing. Um, okay, we have a a question from the gallery. I think she wants some resources. That uh, she says she would like to. Uh, see something that explains what you're talking about. I think what she's asking for is some kind of the shadow, the archetype, and everything else. Is there a chart or something laid out for somebody so they can actually uh, look at a resource uh, for what you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let me just think about that where they could see one. Uh, I could certainly post one uh, on our page for her, on our Facebook page okay. uh, in particular. Uh, um yeah, let me see here. Um, now, your yeah. Facebook page, again, that's, uh, let me find it here. On it's Facebook. uh, facebook.com slash archetypal nature. Archetypal nature, yeah. 
And I put that I put that in there, so that's how you find it, guys. Because mm-hmm. yeah, people are yeah, very I'll, interested I'll, in looking at it. Sure, yeah, I can pop one up there for folks, and um, they can see it that way. Oh, good. That was a good question. Thanks, Sam. Um, so uh, let's see here. So I think that, okay, television means so much to us, television, movies, what's being portrayed in the movies. And now we do have the uh, uh, the action hero male saving everything and then these strange females like Lucy that has power of it all. You know, I found that Lucy, I don't know if you saw Lucy, that movie. No. Yeah. Okay, so Scarlett no, Johansson... Uh, is like uh, they get into this synthetic drug that makes you use 100% of your brain. And so she's going through, uh, if you you listen, she's going through development not only physically but mentally and spiritually, and she's kind of overcoming this world. And uh, it turns out to be a lot of action and fight scenes and everything else. And uh, uh, what what are you seeing in our culture today In, in the examples of the... Uh, what's going on and what we're choosing to watch and see. Sure. Well, it's a dominantly, um, it's definitely a dominantly warrior culture. I mean, that's the the prevailing value increasingly since, you know, Reagan era is a more and more warrior world that it's, you know, um, you know, that it's, uh, you know, every person you're on your own, you know, um, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a warrior world is, is a dominant one, and, and it really neglects all the other archetypes. I mean, depends how you um, you know you want to you can cut it a few different ways and say, well, what about this? What about that? But um, you know, I, I think our society is increasingly you know increasingly very much you know since the 1980s about the warrior, you know, um, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous and all that in the eighties. And, and now, you know, we're in this economic system that's, that's very, um, you know, very warrior and very kind of every person on their own and tough luck if you can't handle it. And, and so we value the warrior and above everything else. And it's not, you know, it's not a, it's an imbalanced situation. It's an imbalanced, um, place you know for us to be and that's you know that's one of the reasons that we're destroying the planet for the sake of you know stockholders uh you know and all that so um you know i I think it's you know we're all about being the best and all this and we're missing the fact so yeah um, it's uh you can watch it like you're watching people for their archetype you can watch the world for its archetype. And uh, what do you see? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to broaden a little bit out to uh, uh, the, uh, oh, God, the head chopping and stuff like that that's going on right now. What What do you oh, think? Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, again, that's the, you know, it's the warrior, but it's certainly also the father, right? We live in this yeah. world that is... Um, the that is ever changing and all these cultures are bumping up against each other and it's the most difficult for the old traditional patriarchal systems that would be archetypally understood as 
king and and father and and those are the groups that want to you know that at their in their in their worst form in their most immature form the king or father does not want to surrender their power and they they believe that their way is right and the old way is right and that all this new stuff is you know bad and a threat and uh, they'll project their shadow on it and that's the devil over there and all this kind of stuff and and it's a very, you know, very old, very psychologically immature place. And and those people, when you uh, p- take people that are living from that point of view and you rub them up against a society that's so complicated and so many moving parts and so fragmented today and so many different opinions about what's right, well, it's very um, soothing to go fall back into this old uh you know, shadow way of belief that is very simplified and patriarchal and all that. And, um, you know, and then you combine that with the warrior, right? And and um, and the, what do they hate? Well, they hate the liberal values and all that of the magician and the seeker. So, you know, um, I think, you know, it's it's very cut and dried from an archetypal place that, that that's the tension that we see there and... Um, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that all fathers are like that at all, but that's the, uh, you know, all these archetypes have the worst form, and that's the worst form of, of the father warrior, for sure. Yes, and it's also taken on a medieval uh, tone. It's so ancient, like you said. Right. It reminds me of the medieval, like, driving these carts through the city and everything else. I'm like, damn, weren't we there before, a few thousand years ago? Like, what? Like, we're still acting this out? It's like... It's so right. horrible. And then yeah. uh, I heard uh, something today about uh, turning it into a, uh, it's sort of like, it's like a extravaganza, like a business almost. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, what they see on TV, now they're going to actually put on a show for everybody. Uh, I don't know, somebody took it there and I was just thinking, wow, this is, this has a very deep meaning for our culture. It's, it's not happening like over here. You know, uh, but um, mm-hmm. it's happening in front of our face, so I can't ignore it. So uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, people, let's see. We have, like, a few comments here. Um, it said, uh, yeah, people are holding in their energy and stuff like that. It's true. Okay, uh, so how might understanding the archetypal na- of nature help on a cultural or political level? I kind of just brought that up. Uh, do you want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, well, I think you can look at, um, you know, look at the archetype chart and you can see <clears throat> that there's, um, that there is a, a conflict in it that is innate and that really reflects our left-wing, right-wing dialogue. And that's something I'm going to be working on and writing about in the future is that if you look at the father warrior and you look at the uh, the seeker sage that unconsciously that's the dialogue between the the right and the left the right wing and the left wing you know the right is about you know the old values of the father and conserving the things that we've already established and it's about the warrior everyone you know being autonomous and self-sufficient and all that and the left you know is full of new ideas and you know solutions and and coming up with uh, better ways to do things and all that and that there definitely is this this uh, unconscious dialogue between these two two parties and that 
that it really has to do ultimately it's an unconscious archetypal dialogue is what's going on there ultimately and that if that if you could recognize that i think you'd miss you'd um correct for the shadow uh, on both sides certainly for me as you know i live in the in the sage um seeker sage position and and but i have this archetypal awareness so i see these left-wing parties not only in in the u.s but in canada and in england and other places that um have a a shadow that you see over and over again. And and part of that is that, you know, they want politics to be a debate class and it's really not a debate class. It's a, it's a fight for power. It's a warrior sport. It's about who wins. You know, whoever wins the greatest amount of votes gets power. That's what politics is. It's not, it's not a debate class about who has the best ideas because if it were, then the person with with the best ideas would win every time and they don't. So, um, but, you know, it's like Al Gore in 2000 when he said this isn't the popularity contest. Well, right there, that's when you know he's going to lose, you know, because he doesn't yeah. get the nature of what he's involved in. So, and the left tends to, to choose these kind of, um, you know, they have what I, call, what I call Lisa Simpson complex. They think the smartest person in the room should just be the leader. They don't understand that, you know, politics is a, is a, is a fight for control and that that they that frequently leads them to bringing a knife to a gunfight you know they don't understand who they're up against and and you do see it you know across different countries that that the the right really they get they get it it's about a competition and they they're well organized and they they know you know they're they're trying to get power and uh, the left you know i think they want the whole exercise to be something different than it is and um you know, that doesn't help you win, you know. No, uh, it certainly doesn't. And in the end, you're marking yourself as a target for death later. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, I think everybody's turned their their eyeballs to them and their numbers uh, is up pretty soon. But uh, we have a, a couple of questions is that, you know, some people are actually just hearing about the archetypes for the first time and saying right. uh, that it makes a lot of sense. So one person would like to ask you to explain the shadow again. Right. Well, all all these archetypes are equally good. You know, no one's better than any other one, and we're all a combination of one or two. So, um, you know, some people feel like they're living from three, but most folks are going to come down to it. They're going to say they live in one or two. So, you know, it's really a circle, and the the king, queen, mother, father at the top, at the um, the three o'clock position is the sage and the mediatrix. At the bottom is the uh, lover and the seeker, and at the nine o'clock position is the warrior and the Amazon. So, as you move around that circle, any uh, you know up across the circle from you, that that's going to give you information about part of what your shadow might look like. It's not going to be necessarily your whole personal shadow, but your archetypal shadow will certainly be there. And your archetypal shadow might have a lot of clues about what your personal shadow would look like. So, as I said before, you know, I'm a, I'm a seeker sage. My opposite is father warrior or king warrior. And so if I want to understand something about my shadow, I can look over there and say, geez, well, what might the father warrior have to teach me about? Um, and, you know, that has a lot of lessons uh, potentially there that are almost infinite. But 
you know, you could think about, you know, um, showing up, you know, putting your stuff out there. You know, the magician uh, or the sage, you know, we can be up in our tower, you know, polishing that machine up forever. You know, I could have spent many more years writing that book, uh, Shara, that, yeah. you know, that you've enjoyed there. I mean, I could, I have yeah. actually have more chapters that were on the end of it, but I had to just say, well, I'll come back to that and write a second book someday. Um, That's right. You know, we'll just we'll just stay up there shining that machine up forever. But ultimately, you have to go out in the world, and that's the warrior. You have to be willing to put your product out there and say, yay or nay. You know, here it is. You know, it either flies or it doesn't. Um, uh-huh. And so, you know, it's it's stuff like that. And there's almost an infinite amount of these lessons. But that's really what the archetype work is about: is is setting a course of contemplation for you to think about. You know what? You know what might your shadow be? What might it look like for you? And and these archetypal pieces really help us to do that. So, you know, um, you know, any place that you're, you know, that you're on on that chart, you look across the opposite, and you're going to see potential there. You know, if somebody's if somebody's coming from the the king father place, maybe it's really tough for them to talk about feelings and do that one on one stuff that the seeker lover just loves to do all day long. You know, maybe they don't want to get into the deep, you know, personal insight, um, you know, the kind of stuff maybe that we're talking about here a little bit. Maybe that's not where they live. And and so, you know, they can look at for that in their shadow and go, okay, well, that's, you know, that's part of my shadow there. So, you know, the warrior may be very impatient with the magician and their questioning and all that kind of stuff, and they just want to get down to action. So, you know, there's so much... Um, so much dynamism to the system because it's really these two oppositions in the psycho, you know, in our human nature that are there. So it's really powerful, you know, and it kind of goes on forever and ever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so powerful because of the, uh, when you, it's like uh, that box, a little chest, when you open it, there's another one, then you open it, there's another one, you know, it keeps going on forever because part of that is that discovery which spurs you on to keep opening another one, and uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's not without pain, but it's valuable mm-hmm. and worth it because uh, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing discovering each other and ourselves and uh, lifting up this sort of blindness that happens at each level before you break through to the next level or out of that one box into the next. You know, you were kind of blind, and like you said, you can't see what you're acting out. You can't see yourself. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm over at your website, thearchetypalnature.com, uh, and it's asking uh, archetypal nature, how is your path different from others? What is the deepest source of satisfaction and fulfillment? Discover how to better understand others, give them what they want, and help them better understand you. You know, that's the whole point that we were bringing up before, that people want to be known and understood that uh, it's important Mm -hmm. that uh, people have a connection. And uh, some people are more isolated than others, but they always seem to have followers. There's always some random artist. There's this one that sticks out to me because he's usually in the woods and he's usually painting Mm -hmm. fish. And people seek him out. They found him out there. Even though he's hiding out in the woods, they go to him or a writer that's writing out in the middle of nowhere and he's a loner. But people will go to him. Or find them. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Let's talk about your women on webinar. 
I want to go to that page. I want oh, to look yeah. at. Yeah. Go ahead. Now, what about the, the webinar? Tell us about it. Well, it's next starts next Saturday morning. It's eleven o'clock till one o'clock uh, Pacific time, and it's four weeks where we're going to go each week a little deeper into it. And first week we're going to look at the king queen. Uh, mother-father type versus the uh, lover-seeker or seeker-companions, another way to talk about it. And you know, we'll go from there and build on that each week and get into the shadow and the relationship pieces and the, you know, the childhood and family stuff as we go on. And um, the uh, early bird ends actually tomorrow. That's right now it's only 79 bucks, which is, I think, a pretty good deal. And, um, and it will be, you know, full live video. So you'll see me and there'll be slides and, you know, images and all that, and you'll be able to ask questions as we go through. And uh, there's people coming from all over the world right now, and I'm very excited uh, to be doing it. You know, we do it in, in uh, you know, in-person groups all the time, but this is the first time I'm doing it uh, over the web. And uh, I've worked with the people at Syncast before, and they're great. And uh, I'm just, you know, really excited to share it with people and, uh, and um, you know, have them start their own journey with this stuff. Well, okay, so I'm reading the technical issues. It says, everybody who signs up will be emailed a login link, password instructions, how to join the live session, and tech support yeah. is available. session is 120 minutes long. Uh, then uh, participants who have webcam and microphone will be able to ask questions via live video. Very exciting. The, the requirements are mm-hmm. broadband, high-speed Internet connection, web browser, desktop or notebook computer, iPhones, and iPads are not supported at this time. Let's just give you a little right. warning. Recommended webcam, yeah. microphone, internet, Ethernet, cable connection, or strong wireless. Anyway. Yeah. All you, and, uh, all, all you really need. Yeah. All you really need is a you know a computer and a high speed connection. But you know if you can if you want to use the webcam you can. If you want to be plugged in via Ethernet you can. But anybody who's got a computer and Wi Fi should be able to get on no problem. Yeah. And um, so how are they going to uh, get on then? Um, how did, can you guide well, them? They just exactly uh, where they, to go go to the, they go to the they go to yeah the store page on the archetypalnature.com. They go to the store, and then they click on the um, the webinar there, introductory webinar March 2015, and then when they click on that, they'll go to purchase. They click on that, and the form comes up, and you go through the purchasing process right there. Oh, wonderful! You know, it's just a wonderful opportunity because. A lot of us are uh, either, you know, working or like to me, I work Saturday, I work two shifts, but uh, I'll be able to get on there and watch it or people that are at a distance can watch it. I really love the Internet for that because uh, nothing can hold you back from learning. We don't have any excuses yeah. anymore. Oh, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do it. We actually can go ahead and do it now. Nobody can stop us from uh, doing it. That's right. And, you know, if folks can't do a particular, if they can't do that time, Within a few days, I, I believe anyway, it's within a few days that the video of the session will be available for everyone who's bought it uh, to go and watch it via video. So if you can't do that time, you could still uh, watch it on video afterwards. Yeah, it's well worth it, you know, because, uh, you know, Gary, you're out and you're sticking your neck out here with all these archetypes showing, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate you coming <laughs> out and speaking with us about it, and. Uh, we need to learn because it's really uh, having a resonance with people and ringing as the truth and they're uh, enjoying it. And uh, some have never heard of this before. 
And then there's those of us who just uh, crave hearing about it and talking about it and uh, realizing that, you know, it's affected our lives, you know, for many, many years, you know. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, what's guiding this whole thing, I don't know, but it's sort of like a, it's a seeker, but it's a yearning for uh, something else. It's just like a, it's like a hunger almost. Like uh, you yeah. want to know, you want to learn, you want to be your best self, you want to help others be their best self. Yeah, that's right, and this will help you do it. And you know, it's the kind of thing that once you see with this lens, you know, you're going to see this way, you know, for the rest of your life, and be able to see into all your relationships and certainly can be used in, you know, business and, you know, all these other ways, but it's all it's really doing is helping you see people for who they really are. And I don't think there's, you know, there's anything to be, um, you know, anything negative about that. No. Uh, what, what do you mostly love about the work that you do? <laughs> well, you know, as I said, I think just freeing people up and making them feel good about their story and, and giving them this universal story that, that makes their the way they really feel inside okay you know it makes who they you know what's feeling true for them makes that story okay that's wonderful you know and helps them find the validation that they need you know that's just you know a beautiful thing and um you know i don't think we can you know really give people much more than that anything much better than that is just to say hey you know your journey that you're going on, it, it's uh, it's got a universal place, and it's and it's okay, and you're not supposed to be like this other thing that society tells you you should be. You know that you know you who you really are, and what really excites you and energizes you. That's who you are, and that's okay. And you don't have to be everything, or you don't have to be something else. Um, you can look to those other pieces for insight and growth, but you know uh, you don't have to be anything other than than who you are and, and you know so I'm very very proud and when people get that you know people will say things like you know why didn't we learn this in high school you know after they do this workshop yeah. like, that's such a great compliment you know yeah so, wouldn't you know, it be wonderful that we have that guidance you know it's uh, or you will allow- okay what it is, is is that when you see just how uh, confining it is in the classroom and uh you know, I observe kids that have a hard time sitting in their seat and they can't stay there and their parents are complaining about them. And, you know, because I'm counseling the parents and they're talking about the kid. I want, how do you expect this kid, a very active young boy, to sit uh, with mm-hmm. something I, I would have a hard time doing, to sit, you know, from morning till 2 o'clock in the same chair and expect him not to act out. It's like almost mm-hmm. asking the poor kid for something uh, impossible. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's yeah. uh, you know, when I notice that there's an hour and a half group and they're bouncing out the group five minutes early, they're trying to, so we're fighting, trying to hold all these people back. It's not over. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, really, and I actually bring that up sometimes, you know. If you're expecting your kids to stay at school, how long are they at school? If they're from eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, God, like six, six, seven hours in one plot spot, they can't sit there for an hour and a half. Right. Anyway. Yep. We expect a lot of the little people when we don't even do it for ourselves. That's right. You know, so, you know, we have to open the world, let the world open for them. 
you know, what I taught my kids, and I would say it flat out, I said, you know what, you've got to get out there. You've got to learn. Uh, you've got to do this. I would get them involved in all different stuff and get them out there. I said, because you know what, there's a lot of uh, opinions in the world. There's a lot of things going on. I'm only one version. I can only tell you just right. what I know. I said, you've got to go out there and find more stuff. You know, what's mm-hmm. happened is my kids, uh, I I love and respect them so much. It's that they're living out there. They're living it. They're honest people. I'm not that honest. These my kids are. <laughs> my son is a. You know, I'm more. I don't know. You know, I'm not honest about everything. I can't. I have too many uh, secrets. But anyway, uh, my like uh, my son uh, does stage acting and all that. But uh, he one thing to come across is that he is totally transparent on that stage. I don't know anybody li- like him. Really, right? You know, and his followers are yeah. have, have asked me, and some of them are very famous actors that I get really nervous because I get starstruck easy. So they'll talk to me about him, and they'll say, "Well, what is it?" I said, "He's transparent. He just says it like it is, whatever it is—the good, the bad, the ugly—and uh, it's kind of ho- like I'm watching a horror movie on one side, and on the other side, you're crying because <laughs> it's it's so touching or happy or it makes you laugh your head off. You know what I mean? It's a uh, yeah. Wow, it's, it's incredible, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's scary, it's frightening, yeah. and incredible at the same time. Because there's my mirror. Dang, nice. it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope they do what they want to do. So, uh, that's, so that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's you know, and then have it to be brought to your face like that. It's like I've had to really learn a lot of things in this life, and. Uh, you know, it hasn't made me any more honest. It's made me, uh, I don't know. I like to cloak things, I guess. You know, I have that other way. Like, if you say too much, uh, you know, the Greek side of me, the superstitious part, if you say too much, uh, then they'll know it all and they'll take it from you or some kind of weird thing going on. Who knows what I'm doing? But anyway, uh, so what are you, uh, now, what are you working on right now? Because you're doing your webinars. Are you working on another book? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, this is going to have to be. You got about ten quick. minutes left. Um, we, we, well, I think yeah, I think I've got to do a book here on this archetype stuff pretty quick because so. folks really want it. You know, it won't be as big as the. Uh, if, if, you know, you've read the crop circle book there. It's quite the kind of magnum opus kind of thing, and I think I just want to do a real, real easy to digest book on this archetypal nature stuff because people. You know, get it. It's true. You know, it's it's in nature. It's true. So people get it when they hear it and they come to the workshop. They go, oh, I get it. You know, and so it's not something you need. You know, uh, you know, a PhD to understand. It's in nature. You know, um, so you know, I want to do just a real simple, easy to understand book on this stuff. And um, I think that's probably my next creative task. And you know, obviously the webinar is next weekend, so that's on my mind a lot. And getting that ready for folks and um that's that's what I'm doing. That's great. And so uh uh tell people one more time uh the where they can get a hold of you. you can get a hold of you on Facebook. That's where I found you, I think. Mm-hmm. I was interested in yeah. Facebook, something happened. But anyway, <laughs> one thing led yeah. to another Gary S B O B R O F F on Facebook. And from there, Absolutely. he has another page. Yeah, no, they can't. You can't find you can't find me with that on Facebook. But, okay, you tell. Um, you can find, yeah, Facebook.com/slash Archetypal Nature is 
is the way to go for this stuff. And then you can email me directly through the archetypalnature.com website or the email is archetypalnature at gmail.com. That's right. So, uh, and the webinar, webinar starts next Saturday. The webinar is last Saturday. And again, you're going to find all that information. Uh, and you yeah. can actually, uh, let's see. And how are people getting a hold of you again? You've got to repeat this a, a couple of times so sure. the people are writing sure. it down. Well, yeah. yeah, the webinar, you know, the webinar early bird does end tomorrow. So if folks are interested, they should know that. Um, the website, archetypal, A A R C H E T Y P L archetypal, nature. Dot com is the website, facebook.com slash archetypal nature. And you can email directly to me at archetypal nature at gmail.com. Okay, so we just have a couple minutes left. Uh, yep. Is there anything that you would like to talk about that we didn't we didn't cover? Or uh, there is sort of a, a, a little conflict going on in the chat room because uh, some people are saying that... Um, one that uh, uh, that okay, somebody considers Chris considers materialist that young is a materialist who perceives reality in physical terms, and uh, they felt that young didn't grasp the spiritual, and then to the contrary, others feel like that it's just, this is all spiritual that it's 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 in with reality. Um, let me see. Okay, uh, that somehow they're separated. Um, I don't, okay, what do you think about uh, what what's going on? I don't know if <laughs> well, you can see it uh, or not. Yeah, no. To me, um, you know, to me, there's no question that Yin's talking about things that are very spiritual, and um, you know, he wanted to be regarded as an empirical scientist because he believes that what he was doing is looking at. Um, the nature of the psyche as it appears in the world, in dreams and in people's experience. So he wanted to be regarded as an empirical scientist, and he felt that he was extremely grounded in what he was talking about. But uh, I think those of us that have come after him really see, I mean, very clearly this is deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual stuff. And, you know, much of Jung's later work was on alchemy and, um, which he really used as a metaphor for our inner psychological work. And that, uh, to me, you know, and this is the guy who coined the phrase synchronicity. So, you know, yeah. there's, uh, there's, you know, he deeply honors the ir- irrational principle and um, uh, wrote a great deal about it and um, certainly was interested in, um, you know, um, and this is basically what the reason he split from Freud was, to do with this stuff. Freud was worried that Jung would be regarded as a mystic. And, um, you know, and Jung really wanted, you know, when they have the discussion about, um, you know, one of their last, you know, in-person discussions, they had a very famous argument and, and Freud was saying, you know, you basically, you can't get into all that mystical stuff. And, and Jung just felt this energy building up in him and building up in him, and, and he knew that, that there something was going to fall in another room or there was going to be this noise. And he, he said, you know, watch, there's going to be a, a noise right now. And something happened, and there was this loud noise. And, 
and then they got back into their argument. Freud was startled, but then they got back into their argument, which was about, you know, Freud's theory that everything spiritual is just repressed sexuality. And Jung was saying, no, there's a spiritual piece here as well. And they got back into that argument, and Jung said, that's going to happen again, and that sound happened again, and and it really freaked Freud out, and I think that was the beginning of the end for them. Yeah, I think so, because... Uh, to me, uh, Jung was always watching for that magical and mystical and how, you know, one second we may be very, very sure on a topic and then all of a sudden something would show up and, and change everything around and, and then you get that mm-hmm. enlightenment. And I think that uh, when you're talking about synchronicity and uh, quantum physics and all this other stuff, it's it's a, a version of the world that... I uh, crave and think is beautiful and it's very spiritual to me because none of this excludes God for me. Right? But maybe right. for someone else it would appear to be I'm not quite sure what they mean by materialistic or why would this be viewed. I would think Freud was more materialistic and yeah, really sure. concerned with the bodily functions and stuff like that. When Jung is yeah. is actually ra- talking about the soul the whole time, to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the guy that coined the term synchronicity. So, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, he wanted to be regarded as an empirical scientist because he saw himself as observing nature, and that's what I really like about Jung is that he's not making up a bunch of theories, as far as I'm concerned. You know, no. He's observing dreams. He's observing behavior. He's seeing how a complex affects people. Um, so for me, he's not a theoretician. And in that sense, he's empirical. But ultimately, what he was observing and seeing extends beyond the body's materialism, extends beyond um, physical bounds. You know, he certainly believed that, uh, you know, that, that energy or whatever you want to call it extended beyond beyond person and he absolutely believed that i mean one of the things you know, he, there's probably a thousand examples in young's writing that would prove that but but one of them is um he had a client who committed suicide by shooting himself in the forehead and at the exact moment that it happened of course with no knowledge of young he had a splitting you know blinding headache in that yeah. spot and found out later that he had died so you know i mean this is to me somebody whose beliefs certainly extend beyond the reductive um, position and a materialist position. Yes, um, I totally agree with that, and the, I, I really love the subject matter. And I invite you back again anytime, and uh, we could Thank discuss you. that. You got to start working on that next book, so because uh, you know this is just too good. This stuff is rich. Uh, it's like a, a beautiful uh, work of art to me, and that we have to keep discussing these things because. It's 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 mysterious, it's profound, and it's it's actually uh, giving us a language to talk about things that are almost unspeakable. Like you can paint them, yeah. you know what I mean, and stuff like right. that. But how do yeah. you speak about the golden right. chalice of this or the 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 yeah. uh, how you know the women seers that looked into the orb and all these other things? And it's a it's a beautiful thing to discuss. So. Uh, we'll have you back again, and I, I wish you all the best of luck. And please catch his webinar. It's Thank this you. Saturday. It starts this Saturday. Don't miss it, people. www.archetypalnature.com. Yeah, Gary, nice next, talking to you next, again anytime. It starts next Saturday. Okay.
<laughs> yes, next next Saturday. Okay. Sorry, don't be looking forward this Saturday. Thank you for being on the Paranormal Sacred, Gary. Take care. Thank you so take much for having me, sir. Good night. Okay. Take good care. Night. I want to thank you all for being in the uh, chat room. Uh, I don't know uh, where that conversation went in the chat room, uh, but I love you all and take care. And thank you so much for showing up. And you know, uh, I wish. Uh, Chris, come back and if we ever have this discussion again, which we will, uh, and discuss your ideas with us because I, I really wasn't understanding where you're coming from with that. So uh, take take care. So remember, we've got a, a new and awesome guest every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we'll be here and you be there or be square. And we love you all very much. God bless you. Happy trails and may true love live in your heart and your best dreams come true, and I wish you all the best. And people back east, spring is coming soon. Don't give up. I know you have 100 feet of snow out there, but you know what? This too shall pass. And uh, with respect, you know, stay warm, you guys, and uh, keep each other in mind. Take care. God bless. Thank you all for being here. Love you. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.